Welcome here today. My name is Tom. Got an opening question for you. Can you think of one way, just one way, just think of it, you don't have to shout out loud, one way that religion has done more harm than good? Can you think of one way? Now, while you're holding that in your mind, also answer this question. Can you think of a way that religion has been more beneficial than bad? You got those in your minds now? You're holding them? So let's do a little bit of a straw poll here. Hands up for all of you who think that religion has done more harm than good. Okay? Hands up for all those who think religion has done more good than harm. And like the first service, there's plenty of you that are undecided on this. What is the answer? The answer, of course, is yes, both. It's both true. Welcome to our confusing Sunday morning, (laughs) where we're going to explore today more obstacles that people have to faith. This is our fall message series where we're, we're kind of trying to examine obstacles that people have that might be preventing them from discovering who Jesus is. We're looking at a lot of different things this, this fall, and uh, you might want to check out some of the topics we'll be looking at this fall. I think there's a little bit of a bookmark out at the Dream Team booth as you leave today. Our goal in this series is to help you overcome obstacles that might be preventing you from taking the next step in your faith journey, particularly the next step in exploring who Jesus is. If there's something there that you're, you're stuck on, some obstacle that's preventing you, we want to help you move around that obstacle so that you can actually meet and explore who Jesus is. But also, our goal in this series is to help you have better conversations with some of your friends and your family about obstacles to faith that they might have, all with the goal of getting around those obstacles so that we can truly approach and understand and explore who Jesus really is. Last week, we explored science and faith. We explored the idea that some have that, you know, because of science, faith is irrelevant or faith is stupid or that there's this war going on between science and faith. And if you want to explore that further, I encourage you to listen to that through our podcast, which is available online and available through, through iTunes. You can just search for the church name and, and find it. This week, we're going to see if we can get around this obstacle that religion does more harm than good. But so, so I want to start out this morning by first asking, what does God think of religion? Now, some of you might be thinking, what, is that a trick question? It's like asking George Golder what he thinks about golf. <laughs> or, or, or Gary Cote, what he thinks about VWs. You know, it's kind of like an obvious question. Or, or maybe how this one, do millennials actually like pumpkin spice lattes? So when he asked the question, does, you know, what does God think of religion? Is that a trick question? The answer could seem self-evident. When really, it's not. The answer might surprise you. Because while there's a lot of religious activity featured in the Bible, God himself got sick of religion. Through the prophet Amos... God looked at all the religious activity of his people, all the worship songs, all the sacrifices, all the offerings, all the different actions that were being taken, and it made him sick. And this is what God said through the prophet Amos to his own people. In Amos 5, 21 to 24, we hear these words. God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. 
Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. I want you to pause for a moment and just notice what God is saying here. God is saying that he hates, that he despises what he himself had required of his people. You see, all those festivals that are described in this passage and in the, in the prophet Amos, all these assemblies, all these burnt and grain and fellowship offerings, different kinds of offerings that were brought, even the songs they were singing, all of these were originally commanded by God himself. This is very striking because God isn't calling his people out on idolatrous worship, that they're worshiping other gods. He does that through other prophets. We see that lots. But in the, in the prophet Amos, he's not doing that. Instead, God is calling out his people for worshiping him passionately, doing all the things right, while at the same time forsaking justice for the poor and mistreating other people. Nor is God asking for them to tweak it a little bit. You know, if you could just kind of adjust a few things and, you know, just try a little harder, just, just do this, do that. No. He actually wants them to stop everything related to worship and get everything related to relationships right. Here's a truth we can hold on to. God could care less about how people worship him if they're failing to love other people at the same time. In other words, God will place relationships over religion every day of the week. The music might be incredible. It might be led by the most talented musicians. There might be people that are just so invested in what's going on. The hands are up and they're in the spirit of worship and they're just so thrilled to be there because the atmosphere is so vibrant and it seems like God is so present and, oh, I just love to come. But then God is looking at these people, looking at us and saying, what's really going on in your lives? Are you mistreating one another? Are you you, you trash-talking people? Are you fostering good relationships? Are you just slicing and dicing and living however you please? Are you actually caring for the poor? Are you actually loving your neighbor? Are you actually living out the heart of God for others? Are the people who are worshiping God loving in a godlike way? The fact is, passionate worship by people who at the very same time are mistreating or neglecting others makes God sick. Now, why do I point that out? Great start, eh? Because it cuts right to the heart of our conversation today. Any religious activity that is cut off from the heart of God for others becomes loathsome to God and damaging to relationships. In the book of James, we hear these important words. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you see the connection here? Religion is only good when it lines up with God's holiness and lives out Jesus' heart for others. And while some of us may have grown up with this idea that being holy and being loving you know, having God's holiness and God's heart are somehow in contradiction. That is not true. What is revealed to us in the story of Jesus is that the holiness of God is revealed through his heart for us. When religion becomes a way that people try to impress God, try to help themselves, try to just one-up some other people, it inevitably becomes harmful to others and makes God 
want to vomit. So, so what's our conclusion? Religion can be good. Religion can be evil. Religion is a mixed bag. But let me unpack that a little bit. First, I want to tell you some of the reasons why religion does more harm than good. Religion, of any kind, is a system of beliefs and practices where humans attempt to connect with God. And as such, humans are in the driver's seat, defining who God is, defining how we access him, and often defining who can and who cannot access him. Keeping people away, inviting people in. Religion, at its most basic form, is all about humans trying to find God and failing miserably in the pursuit. Religion, because it often focuses on externals, can lead to hypocrisy and self-righteousness. You and I both know that some of the most, quote, religious people we know can be the most judgmental and difficult people to be around. People have used religion to abuse others. Rather than me flailing on some other religion, let me flail on ours for a while. Whether these are men who have used the Bible to support domestic or sexual violence, pastors who have used spiritual authority, religious authority to satiate their own greed, or whole churches who have propped up hatred and bigotry in the name of their version of holiness. Religion, when given political power, has almost always led to oppression rather than freedom. When it was the Christian religion, power led God's people away from following the crucified Messiah who laid down his life for his enemies and instead following a victorious king of heaven who very conveniently gave support to the oppressive policies of earthly kings. And what about religious wars? You don't have to talk to someone for very long about religion before someone drags up the Crusades. A thousand years ago, lasting for over two centuries, hit and miss, not continuous, Christian kings and priests called for a holy war to win back a holy land, the holy land. And it led to tremendous slaughter, not only for Jewish and Islamic people, but for other Christians and for non-Christian peoples, as these so-called holy warriors raped and pillaged their way across Europe, all under the banner of the cross. But it took the 30 years war to show Europe how damaging religious wars between the years 1618 and 1648, religious wars wreaked absolute destruction upon Europe, resulting in some 8 million casualties. And it was this religious conflict that led people to reject faith as a unifying narrative or a unifying basis on which we could found society. They realized at that moment, we are not going to get it together if we are expecting people to believe the same thing. And so they turned away from faith as the foundation of societal unity and they turned to things they felt we can all agree on. Math, science, geometry, philosophy. Religions have supported the enslavement and impression of people. For a number of centuries, even the Christian religion supported slavery. Certain elements within Christianity arguing for its biblical support. And as we will see in a moment, there's another side to that, but it still is true. And what about modern day terrorism? some of which is rooted in the religious idea of a holy war, jihad. Many ethnic conflicts are rooted in religious factions. And you can't ignore the historical injustices, the economic realities, some of the political and ethnic things that are going on. But it's difficult to imagine the conflict in Northern Ireland, for example, or Bosnia, or Nigeria. It's difficult to imagine them without accounting for significant influence of religion. And of course, we cannot talk about the damage that religion can do without remembering the travesty of our residential schools. Right here in our own country, 
right here in our own Creston Valley. This unholy alliance of the church and the state gathering together to seek the destruction of indigenous people's language, family, and culture, living out this most wicked assimilation policy expressed most vividly by Captain Richard Pratt, who said that we were to, quote, kill the Indian so that we could, quote, save the man. Religion does more harm than good. But not every time. To keep us honest, I want to also tell you why religion does more good than harm. I'm going to now speak out the other side of my mouth. Religion of all kinds have served to awaken people to their need for God, providing channels for people to seek for the God who we believe is not far off at all. And even the futility of religion can serve to raise awareness of our need for grace. Focusing on the Christian religion in particular, we can talk quite confidently about the many ways it has done more good than harm. Just last week, we learned about how modern science would never have been born if it had not been for specifically Christian theology, the Christian understanding of God, modern medicine, modern technology, much of the things we take for granted which have shaped our lives and saved countless lives, all of that possible and only possible because of Christianity. Even though there were Christians who did support the transatlantic slave trade and, and American colonial slavery, there were those who argued for it, the larger story needs to be heard. It was Jesus' followers who fought tirelessly for the abolition of slavery, both in Britain and in the United States. Evangelicals in particular, men such as William Wilberforce, were relentless in their work to abolish slavery. It can be said with absolutely no question that if it were not for Christians, slavery would not have been abolished. Historically, the more Christian an area became, the more freedom and safety women experienced. Now, I know that may not be the history you've heard, but this has been true all throughout history. Where Christianity has come in, the dignity and the value of women has been raised. Now, I'm also willing, of course, to acknowledge that there's times when that has not been true. But the whole story, the larger story of that, has raised the value of women. Yes, religious people have used the Bible to oppress women, and we believe they're sinfully wrong and largely out of step with Christian history. As Christians have shared the good news cross-culturally, we've seen that they've often gone in and cared for those who were marginalized and neglected even by the host people that they had come to serve. And as a result, we see hospitals were founded, orphanages were sponsored, and schools were launched. Many of you don't know that the, even the Sunday school movement was launched as a way of lifting people out of poverty. I know some of you grew up with Sunday school and you think Sunday school is where a bunch of nice little Christian kids get together and look at flannel graph with Jesus. But the history of it was this. The working poor, men, women, and children who had no possibility of education would often still get Sundays off. And so concerned Christians would gather them together to teach them how to read and how to write. Yes, they used the Bible. They were also hoping that they'd learn about Jesus. But they would teach them how to read and write in order to lift them out of the cycle of poverty and enable them to possibly break some of the oppressive uh, realities that they were under. That was the heart. And that's where the Sunday school movement came from. Some of those very same people who were advocating for um, you know, education and putting this all together were at the very same time advocating for stricter child labor laws in an industrialized society that was abusing children in the workplace. What about the missional interactions with other peoples? Again, we can point to abuses. That is true. But we can also point to incredible cultural sensitivity 
and the preservation of culture and languages. Do you know that there are many indigenous languages today which would have been lost, that have only been preserved due to the literacy and Bible translation work done by Christians of the church? In the ancient Roman society, unwanted babies could just be thrown away, legally exposed by their fathers. And so what did followers of the way of Jesus do? They would go out regularly and search the garbage dumps for these children, these unwanted babies, and they would bring them home and they would raise them in a loving family. I wish we could do that today for every unwanted, aborted, cast-aside child. Did you know that the humane treatment of animals was also the result of Christian activists? I mean, working animals in particular through history particularly in the 17th, 18th, 19th century, working animals could be very mistreated. And many of the very same evangelicals who had fought to abolish slavery, who had started Sunday schools, who advocated for child labor laws, also started humane societies to address the plight of animal abuse. Anna Sewell, um, an evangelical abolitionist, active in the abolitionist movement, also an animal rights activist, wrote in her book Black Beauty, which maybe some of you read when you were a kid, She said, there is no religion without love. And people may talk as much as they like about their religion, but if it does not teach them to be good and kind to man and beast, it's all a sham. Much of the civil rights movement in the United States was mobilized within the church. That was actually the basis of their mobile efforts. Standing upon the Christian foundation that all people were created equal under God and that his righteous laws always are higher than our unjust ones. Martin Luther King's dream emerge from the heart of God. And while religious wars are and continue to be an affront to peace, especially the way of Jesus, religion is by no means the primary cause of war. In fact, to suggest that religions are behind all the violence and conflict is to ignore a larger and horrible reality. Atheistic totalitarian regimes killed far more many millions of people just in the 20th century alone than many of these other conflicts put together. Perhaps the problem is more fundamental than ideology after all. Perhaps the problem has to do with human sin. Something that can be aided by religion, both for and against, but also can be unleashed to do even more evil without it. So religion, perhaps we could say that it does more good than harm. (laughs) So what do we say? One guy said, religion is kind of like medicine. In proper doses, taken in proper ways, it can really help you. But boy, it can be lethal if misused. When it comes to religion, I think we need to acknowledge both the wicked and the good. And I think, quite frankly, that it's as we acknowledge the wicked and the good that we're actually able to help people get around this obstacle to faith in Jesus. But more than that, we need to explain why. I mean, why can religion, particularly the Christian religion, the one we're concerned about, why can it at times be so harmful and yet other times be so good? Everything comes down to who is at the center. You see, at the very center of Christianity is the person of Jesus Christ, and at the very center of his story is a cross. Jesus, the high king over all, the divine son of God, humbled himself to become one of us, to become one of his own human creations. And he lived this life of humility, loving and serving and healing. There's a bug on me, sorry. 
He lived this life of service, loving and serving and healing and forgiving anyone who was willing to follow him. And after that, after exemplifying the heart of God in all of his actions, he was then betrayed and arrested and falsely accused and brutally beaten and then shamefully crucified naked on a Roman cross. And from that cross, he didn't rain down imprecations upon his enemies and say, you're going to suffer for this sucker. He offered forgiveness. Forgiveness to those who had tortured him and mocked him who were just waiting for him to die. At the very center of the Christian religion is the crucified and now risen Messiah. And here's what you need to hear. If you rob Christianity of the crucified Christ, you're left with religion, and it is deadly. Whenever you see the, quote, Christian religion, people within it, of course, bringing beauty and justice and truth and care, that lifting up the people who are being marginalized and set to the side and ignored and neglected, leaning into reconciliation and fostering right relationships. Whenever you see that happening, you're seeing people who are actually following the crucified, risen Jesus. They're following him obediently and faithfully, and they're living the way that Jesus lived. Whenever you see the Christian religion forsaking peace, supporting violence, using coercion, propping up unjust systems, oppressing people or ignoring need, you're seeing people who've actually gutted the crucified Christ. They've ignored who he really is, and they've co-opted Jesus as a figure, changed around, figure for their own purposes, and they've forsaken him as their Lord. Whenever Christianity has forsaken Jesus as the way that we follow, the way that we live, the way that we love, it has become repressive and hypocritical and violent. Religion in all of its harmful ugliness. But when Christianity have stayed, has stayed true to Jesus as the way we are to follow, the way we are to live, as the one we are to mimic in our very life and relationships, when that is happening, it brings freedom and forgiveness and healing to all. It's, in that sense, religion in all of its grace-filled potentiality. And the difference is incredibly stark. Whether the Christian religion has produced more harm than good or more good than harm, it depends entirely on whether or not Jesus, the real Jesus that's revealed in the Gospels, the real Jesus that we're asking so many of you to explore through the Gospel of Mark, this real Jesus who lived this life and died on a cross, depends entirely on whether that real Jesus is being followed and worshipped and obeyed. Now, I want to offer a little bit of practical advice as we engage this conversation with our friends. And following that, I want to throw it open for just a couple minutes for maybe some questions or comments that you might have. So some practical advice. The first thing I want to say is that we need to approach this with incredible humility, willing to confess. We need to be able to confess that we have sinned, that we as the church have sinned that people have used the Christian religion, they have used the name of Jesus to hurt and abuse and oppress. There have been times in history, and maybe just last week, when Christians have failed to represent who Jesus truly is, have used power, have grabbed for violence, where they've actually forsaken the crucified Christ. The last thing in the world we need to do is to, because I get it, sometimes we're in a conversation, people get a little, you know, upset, and they push a bit, and we can feel defensive, and we can feel like we need to defend ourselves, and so we can end up being in a position where we can actually be tempted to defend something we should be confessing is sin. <laughs> and, and so my encouragement to us is that we approach with humility and we recognize that there's lots for us to confess and repent of on behalf of the church, on behalf of God's people, and say, 
we are sorry. That was wrong. That rather than getting in a position where we feel like we need to defend it, we can come around to their side and say, that was evil. That was not the heart of Jesus. That's not the Jesus we meet in the gospel. So we are to be, I think, willing to confess in humility where we have sinned. We, as the body of Christ, maybe we personally. Second, we need to be willing to listen, to hear the hurt. Sometimes we run into people who say, religion does more harm than good, or religion sucks, or whatever. What we find out really quickly is that they have had a tough experience. They've been hurt by a church. They've been hurt by people who claim to follow Jesus and, and then were abusing kids. They, they've, been, they've been hurt by people who they thought loved them who didn't, who, who ripped them off in business or, 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 or were out there talking trash about them. And they've been deeply hurt by religious people, people who claim to follow Jesus. We need to be willing to hear that, to listen, to absorb some of it. To, to, to humbly you know, confess like I've already been saying and, and acknowledge the hurt, but just to hear people's stories as they share that. Really practically in our community, you know, most of us have friends who have left the Bountiful community, who've left the former LDS community. All of my interactions with those folks around Jesus is pretty touching because they've been deeply hurt by an authoritarian religion. And so as a result, man, they, they backpedal hard because they're rightly suspicious about religion. And I think we need to be engaged in that relationship and, and, and asking them to share and, 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 and knowing that it might take a while, it might take a long while to help them around that obstacle so they can finally meet the Jesus who loves them. I don't know what it might be, but we need to be willing to hear, to really hear the hurt. And then if appropriate and if the time is right, to be able to share why, at the end of the day, we're not into religion. <laughs> we're really into relationship with Jesus. That we're really into the God who crossed all the boundaries, who pushed religion aside and said, I want to get in. I want to meet you. I want to know you. And to be able to share why we aren't invested in a certain religious activity, but we're really invested in knowing and loving and following the person of Jesus. Share that honestly from your own perspective. Any Let's, let's throw it up from just, just for a moment. We have a, a, a couple of minutes. Do you have questions or something you'd like to add to this? And if so, raise your hand. We have a, mic, a roving microphone that Ethan's going to walk around. And uh, we want to catch you on the podcast is how it works. So any comments or thoughts you'd like to add to this or questions that this may have raised, points of clarification, things you'd like to object about, go ahead. Terry Lynn, my microphone's coming, Terry. I just wonder if others have encountered conversations around the terminology of being religious or mm -hmm. following a religion. And I personally prefer not to use that word because it has so much negative uh, connotations in today's society. So I prefer to profess the faith that I have in Jesus mm -hmm. and to downplay religion itself. Yeah. And I just wondered if other people deal with that. Anyone else want to comment on that? Anyone else want to agree or, or expand that at all? Microphone's coming. One short statement. I've always thought that there was a total difference between religion and Christianity. <laughs> Thanks. So I debated how to preach this sermon. 
there really were two ways I could have gone at this. I'll be really honest. I could have really hammered on that one because I believe it. And that is what I share when I talk to people. I, I do downplay it. On the flip side, it's, it becomes often a question of semantics. What do we mean by the word? And what I want to acknowledge is that when we're in conversation with people and they say religion, sometimes I want to be able to engage them on that um, and, and be able to talk about it because what they're meaning is Christianity as a movement. And I want to have an opportunity to still acknowledge the ways Christianity as a movement has harmed people. I want to be able to acknowledge that. And what I don't want to do, because I, and I agree with everything both of you said, what I don't want to do, though, is leave them feeling like I just sort of skirted the issue and didn't acknowledge the ways that, call it religion, call it Christianity, but people who claim to follow Jesus did these things. And so I kind of debated how to, how to do this. Um, if you want to read further on this, Bruxy Cave, he's a pastor in, in Toronto. Um, he has written some great books. I'm re- reading one of his books right now, his newest book called Reunion. And he really explores how Jesus has come to shut down religion. And I agree with everything he says in there. Um, but what I, I guess what I was trying to navigate here today is acknowledging that when we're in general conversation, religion kind of becomes a catch-all. And I want us to be able to engage it and not people not feel like we're just kind of doing a little end run by not claiming the word religion. I want to be able to like face it head on. But then I do want us to do the end run. I do want us to get past it and talk about Jesus. So I think that can be really helpful when we're in conversation with people. But I just want to acknowledge that often they're just, they're just mean Christians. Uh, and, and we want to be able to acknowledge that and acknowledge ways we failed them. So that's kind of why yeah, I could have preached it differently, I guess. Yeah. Thoughts? Uh, any more questions or thoughts today? Thanks for throwing those out. That is great. I want to, as that way of applying um, not only today's message, but just to us as a congregation, I want to highlight something, an initiative within our covenant families today. In your, in your bulletins, there was this little handout. And this does relate to our series. And it relates to what we're on about. What it is, is it's, it's, the acronym is BLESS, um, which I think can come up on the screen. The acronym is BLESS, which stands for five missional practices that we can incorporate into our lives so that we can more naturally share Jesus with other people. The B is begin with prayer. The L is listen with care. E stands for eat together. S stands for serve with love. I think, serve with love. Yep. And, and then the second S stands for share your story. And what we're trying to do as, as a family of covenant churches is to encourage us to be more intentional in our relationships with others with a hope that we might be able to share the good news about Jesus with them. And so today as the first sort of application, main application point, I want to encourage you to use this B, begin with prayer today. If you want to read this through, there's a little bit of a perforated bookmark. The idea there is that we prayerfully ask God for who in our lives he wants us to pray for. To help, uh, ask God to help you identify three to five people that you will then commit to pray for regularly. And ask God how he wants you to pray for them. What's the particular situation, the particular need? And to be committed to praying for those people on your list for one minute per day. That's why you don't want 15 people on your list. To pray for three to five people for one minute per day. If you take this second bookmark and you turn it in at the office or in the offering plate or hand it to me, we are going to forward these on to people who are outside of our geographical area, committed 
other Christians within the covenant family who have committed to pray with you, with us, for these people in your life that you're just praying for. And so today, I want to challenge you. Our, the goal of our series, the goal of our lives, the, but the goal of the series is, is to just help have conversations about Jesus. Real, natural conversations. Not turning people into projects. That's not what it's about, making a list. But loving people and being intentional about that. And so as we remove these obstacles, helping people see Jesus. And we need to begin with prayer. Because ultimately, without prayer, none of this will happen. And so I want to encourage you to do that today, to take this home, to pray about it, to think about who does God want you to intentionally pray for. When you cut through everything, all of this is about Jesus, who does help us get over religion, (laughs) helps us shut down religion, to get past all the the systems and the things and the, the attempts we've made to try to connect and realize that we don't have to try to connect with God. He has come to us in Jesus Christ. He has made himself known fully in Jesus. And at the end of the day and the end of our lives, it is all about him. When we talk about religion, we talk about these obstacles, it's really trying to deal with something that's in the way so that all of us can discover the life-changing power of the Jesus who lived and died and rose again for us. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you revealed God to us. We would not know God, the Father, if it were not for you, the Son. And Lord Jesus, we confess that there have been times in our own lives and times in our history where we have forsaken you, where we have used you, Jesus, to prop up our own agendas, to abuse other people, to do what we wanted. We confess that as sin and ask for your forgiveness and ask that you would transform us so that we can live in a way that mimics and reveals your loving heart for others. Challenge us in our own personal lives with ways that we are not showing your love. Challenge us as a church. Challenge us as a society. As we come face to face with who you are and realize that our lives are being called to account, being called to follow you. I pray that you would help us continue to deal with obstacles that are preventing us from seeing you and following you and helping others do the same. Lord Jesus, our hope, our desire is that people would discover life, life that is only available in you. Thank you for loving us and coming to us. Thank you for hurdling all those obstacles to find us. In your name we pray. Amen.